Today we're going to get a bit personal. What do you think of yourself? What do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as someone who has lots of problems? Do you think of yourself as someone who has no problems? Do you think of yourself as someone who has lots and lots of faults? Or do you think of yourself as someone who has no fault? Do you see yourself as a good person? Or as a bad person? What do you think of yourself? When you think of yourself in a particular way, how do you feel? These things are important to recognize. It is easy for us to have lived with a particular idea of ourselves for so long that we don't notice it anymore. It's like you're wearing something and you've been wearing it all the time. It's as if like it has become part of you. And you don't question it anymore. You don't see that as not who you are. And because you don't see that as not who you are, naturally there is a clinging. There is a self-identification of that. To the point that you don't even know there is such thing going on. Why do we do that? Well, easy. It's just because of defilements. There is a delusion, which is obvious, of that identification. Then there can also be the fear. Fear of knowing. One time when I was in Trungano, going there to conduct a course, the man who picked me up, we had a conversation. He was driving me to the place I was staying. And I told him a bit about what we are going to do. He wasn't attending the course. And I said, wow, I said, knowing ourselves, that's the scariest thing. It's a scary thing to know. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? The person that you've been living with, that's the scariest person. <laughs> and maybe it's scary because you cannot run away from this person. Other people you can run away from. This one, wherever you go, there you are. In order to be free, we need to recognize first. We need to acknowledge. Whether or not you consider yourself to have lots of problems, or have lots of faults, or to be bad, or it's completely opposite. No, I'm a very good person. And that's likely to be a cover-up for I'm a bad person. Or I have no problems, and that's likely to be a cover-up for actually I, I do think I have lots of problems. Or it could be... No, no, I don't have any faults. I'm perfect. <laughs> and there's a cover-up for... Actually, I do have a lot of faults. For some people, when they think that they have lots of faults, a lot of problems, they think that they're a bad person, they just indulge in it. They sink into it. They wallow in it. Then for some other people, they avoid it, they fight it. So, and the other person is have to live their whole life trying to resist and run away or fight. In a way, the person who is fighting, avoiding, is harder for this person to heal because he's not even willing to see what's there. But for this person, it can be very hard too because this person is constantly in contact with it and it's very, very draining. It's not that it's not draining for these people too. It is as well, but because they think that they don't have, so it seems like they don't have any problem. 
So to some extent, they kind of like, they look like they live okay. But actually, they're also not happy. In order for them to be willing to heal, they need to get to this first, to get to be willing to get in contact with those ideas that they hold about themselves first. Without that, there is no release, there is no freedom. Do you have ideas about yourself? Hard not to have any. You've been living with yourself, so to speak. Especially during our childhood, it's easy along the way to pick up ideas about who we think we are. Although I have mentioned many times that whatever we think we are and all thoughts or feelings, these aren't who we are. But in order to get to actually realizing that, we need to identify what we actually think we are first. We need to get to the point of acknowledging what we think is true first. Then, then only we look into these things and see that they are not who we are. It needs to go through that kind of process. In meditation, we want to know the truth. Even if in the beginning it's a relative truth, we want to know the truth. Then from that relative truth, we go to the ultimate. If even the relative we are not willing to acknowledge, they expect to understand the real truth. I don't say that it's an easy process. I don't say that it is comfortable. But I do say that it's necessary. I've mentioned that along the way I've cried. Because it's necessary. But there were times that I recognized that where the mind is just not willing to go there, it's just not willing to touch it. Intellectually, I know, okay, there's something there, and it's not coming out yet. And I'm not even able to get in touch with it yet, because for so long I've been covering it up. There's a thick layer of obscuration. So in order to get there, the mind needs to feel comfortable. It needs to feel confident. It needs to feel safe. That is okay. When I tell these stories about my own experience, I believe that to some extent it helps you to know that it's possible to get in touch and survive. So that is as far as I can do to give you that confidence. The rest is up to you. Are you willing to? Are you willing to feel bad? Are you willing to feel uncomfortable? Feeling bad just simply means having that unpleasant mood. Really, it can be really, really unpleasant. Really hard to bear. Are you willing to have that? If you're not willing to have that, then how are you able to get in touch with it again? A human being has feelings. Sometimes we feel good, sometimes we feel bad. We can't be always be feeling good. So sometimes we do feel bad. And if you think that, oh, this is not what I want, let me find some way of getting rid of it. So if you know some meditation and you watch it and watch it and you think, why doesn't it go away? How come I watch so long and it still doesn't go away? Okay, this doesn't work, go watch TV. Having feelings is part of being human. If you don't have feelings, you're not, you're not human. It's one of the five aggregates. So if you have feelings, 
Even if you feel bad, great, you're normal. You're human. But if you think that this is not supposed to happen and we try to cover it up, try to ignore it, try to numb ourselves, desensitize ourselves from this pain, then maybe you become very successful in it. Then you, you don't know how you feel anymore. Then it's very difficult for you to heal because you have disconnected. How can you understand something that you have distanced yourself, that you don't want to know, don't want to touch and feel? How can you understand that? In order to be free, you need to understand. In order to understand, you need to be in contact with it. Okay, I can assume that the liquid in this container is warm. But assumption is not knowledge. If I want to really, really want to know, then I touch the liquid, touch the water. Assumption is just assumption, just thinking. If I just think that, oh, I already know already, then I don't really, really know. I must be willing to get in touch with it. And I must be willing to let go as well. When we have a lot of views about ourselves, you know, it's very strange. Even if those views, it brings about so much stress. I'm not talking about those good feelings. I'm talking about ideas that create a lot of unpleasant feelings. Even those, strangely, we attach so strongly to them. Why do you think that's so? I'm a bad person. I did a bad thing. I, oh, I have lots of, lots of problems. I have so much faults. I'm no good. It's not difficult to see that these ideas cause a lot of stress. But why do we hold on to it so strongly? Have you ever considered that? Why do we hold on so strongly to ideas that we really, really so obvious to us and it's so unpleasant to keep clinging on to these? Have you ever questioned? Have you ever asked yourself? Let me ask another question. Do you have a choice to cling on? Whether or not you cling, do you have a choice to decide whether or not to let go? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. You may want to let go. Yes, there's an inertial thing that we need. It is a nekama sankapa. But just wanting to give it up doesn't mean that you give up. But it's very, very necessary. Then again, to give it up, you need to be able to be in touch with it. Some of you, I notice, aren't willing, far from being willing. Some of you are not willing to give it up. Some of you are simply not willing to touch it. Either way, you can go beyond. One spiritual teacher by the name of Eckhart Tolle says, the way out of suffering is through. There's no bypass. If there's a bypass, if you find any bypass, let me know. I haven't found one yet. The way out of suffering is through. In other words, you need to be willing to be in touch with it. But of course, it's hard to be going through it when we identify so strongly. These ideas themselves, I am this, I am that, these are ideas. This is not us. I am this, I am that, you know. Those things, those aren't who we are. And these ideas that who we are, this idea too is not us. You need to recognize that. 
So, how do we get through this? Hopefully, without burning ourselves to death. How do we get through this? Well, the Buddha gave us very good suggestions, and I've told you those. That is to bring in the perception of not-self. It's not our habit, it's not our nature, the nature of the default mind to regard these things as not who we are. So we need help. We need to call for backup. To remind ourselves, this is not me. And slowly, bit by bit, you don't have to run through the fire. Bit by bit. In the beginning, it feels scary. And I can understand that. So try it bit by bit, little bit, and see, and hmm, looks okay, still fine, a bit unpleasant, but still okay, and go some more. And the more you go, the more confident you feel. Eventually, as you go on, you realize, hey, it's not that bad after all, you know. It's unpleasant, but it's not that bad. That's my experience. Sometimes, really, along the way, wow, you feel... Gee, this feels bad. But it's okay. It's okay. Because of past experience, you know that, hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you have that confidence to just carry on. And you have all the knowledge, you have the knowledge, past information as to how to go about this, and you just go along. Every time you make a successful pass, you feel more confident about yourself. And you'll be willing to experience more. Because every time you go through, you feel a sense of relief, a sense of freedom. Wow, I've dropped off something huge. And you'll be a bit excited to think, wow, I wonder if there are more to give up. And start to look for them. <laughs> so what do you think of yourself? Whatever that may be, what do you think of yourself? Sometimes it might be helpful. And during the Buddha's time, they don't have pen and paper. Now we do. Uh, write it down. What do I think of myself? Maybe this, that's that, and all that. But don't go too far when your mind is not steady enough. Yeah. Uh, especially don't do it yet while you're having depression. You're feeling depressed and you think about all those. All your mind can think of is all the negative stuff. <laughs> Sometimes you find your mind fairly okay. You're in a good mood. It's a good exercise. To identify what you think of yourself. Sometimes as you write these things, you notice certain emotions behind it. And you can pay attention to these emotions. And that might lead you to other things. I've done this from time to time. And I've also done this about what I think of others. Others, people that I know. When you put things on paper, it's something nice about it. It's like it's off. There's a sense of distance. Oh, it's not on paper. It's not here. There's a sense of distance. Oh, it feels like it's external. It feels a bit more comfortable that way. So you tend to be a little bit more objective. Uh, these are just ideas. Remember, you recognize that these are just ideas. Then one by one, you can look at it. And see how your life has actually played out because of this idea. What it has brought you to. What are the disadvantages of holding on to this? What is the gratification? 
how would it be without this, this idea? I can tell you that it's very exciting to learn about ourselves. I used to think of myself as being somebody who's very emotionally strong. And I later realized, recognized that underneath this emotionally strong, so-called emotionally strong person is a person that doesn't want to feel those emotions. That's not being emotionally strong. That's being emotionally weak. If you're emotionally strong, you're willing to feel the emotions. When I held that idea that I was emotionally strong, whenever something happens that seems to reveal that this is not true, or maybe you could suggest that this is not true, immediately the mind tries to cover it up. And it'll try very, very hard. Because holding on to that idea that I'm emotionally strong. Oh, like this rock. And it is tiring to do that. It's very tiring. Having to put on the facade of such a person. Not just to show others, to show myself. Because I don't want to see that part of who has certain unsettled stuff, who has certain emotions. And because I want to hold on to that, then I don't get to access, I don't get to know that part. When that happens, what happened was that I don't actually know myself very well. Um, there is a sense of incompleteness, something lacking. Not that it's actually really lacking. I mean, everybody, any human being has five aggregates. It's not really lacking. But because you don't feel it, you don't notice it, you cover it up, then it feels like it's lacking. Feels like something's missing. The thing about not wanting to feel certain emotions is that you can't do that selectively. You can't choose like, okay, I don't want to feel these sad feelings, I just want to feel the happy feelings. It doesn't work that way. When you cover up Vedana, it's like this, this, this whole thing is obscure. It becomes unclear. It's not that you can't laugh anymore, but even when you laugh, it's like, you don't feel that sense of depth. You feel like you're know, just touching the surface. You don't feel full, you don't feel complete. So you go around living your life feeling incomplete. That's how it feels like. The more you do that, the more that becomes the case for you. Once you are willing to get in touch with it, even if you are actually still having those emotions, you feel a little bit more alive. And when you manage to free yourself from it, you feel free and you feel a whole lot more complete. And when we are babies, we are children, we don't have much ideas about ourselves. The underlying tendency for that is there, yes. But we don't have much ideas about ourselves. And along the way, we accumulate all sorts of ideas. Then we have ideas about whether or not we should be having this emotion or not this emotion. I'm supposed to be emotionally strong or what. And all this makes it more and more complicated. And we feel stress. And what happens when we feel stress is, for a lot of people, we try to cover it up. We try to block it off. And once we do that, then we obscure. We obscure this being. And therefore, that's why this sense of incompleteness is there. So the way to be free, in order to get there, you need to first acknowledge what is there first, to the extent that you can know for now. But if you continue to live your life covering up, then there's no way. 
as far as I know, there's no way. There's no bypass. So far, I haven't seen one. So you have to make that decision for yourself. No one else can make that decision for you. I'm willing to look. I'm willing to let go. After all, it's for your own freedom. That's all I have to say. Bhante, what is the difference between feeling and emotion? The English word feelings seem to overlap with the English word emotions. But for the Pali word Vedana, it simply refers to only three things. One is pleasant feeling and unpleasant feeling and neutral feelings. In Pali, it's Dukkha Vedana, Sukha Vedana and Dukkha Sukha Vedana. Dukkha Vedana, you could say painful feelings. Sukha Vedana, you could say happy feelings. Adukama Sukha is literally neither painful or happy feelings. Neither painful nor happy feelings. Now, it does not include things like anger. It does not include things like passion, fear, things like that. For those in Pali, it refer to the mental state. The mind that is with anger, the mind that is with passion, the mind that is with whatever. So the word emotion seems to me like a mixture of these things. When the mind is with anger, of course, there will be unpleasant feelings. That's normal. That is the way it is. But the anger itself is not the unpleasant feelings. Yet they come together. So from a conventional view, then we just use this word emotion to cover them. Not all mental states would come under this idea of emotions. Yeah. So, well, then there is also Venerable Bunaji. When he uses the word emotions, he is referring to greed, anger, delusion, fear, things like that. Um, in other words, the defilements. In the Tibetan tradition, when they translate to English, defilements like Dalai Lama, he would translate them as disturbing emotions. So it's not such a bad word to translate, except that the English word emotions tend to include the feelings the pleasantness or the, the unpleasantness. One day, when you meditate, when you come to a stage where you neither experience pleasant or unpleasant feeling, sometimes you wouldn't know whether it's moha or is actually, what type of feeling would you consider that? Sometimes we feel that it's neutral, but sometimes it could be moha, right? Deluded feeling, whatever. How would you oh. know that it is okay. that type of feeling? Um. If you don't know what it is, then just know it for the way you see it. You don't have to labeling them. You don't have to say this is what or that is what. But just know what is happening. The naming of them is not important. Just recognize what is happening. And if you think that might be more harm going on, then you could be checking whether or not the mind feels kind of a bit blurry. And you could use the question, what's happening now? to prompt the mind to be more alert, to be checking, hey, what's happening now? If there's delusion and you know that there is delusion, then to the extent that you're not deluded. But if you're deluded and you think that you're not, then that's really deluded. Okay, thank you, Panti. 
Sunday. Sometimes when we are dishonest to ourselves, is that considered lying to ourselves? Are we breaking the... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not yet, not yet. The kind of lying to yourself is, you can say that, self-dishonesty. But that doesn't count as musawada. For musawada, you need to be communicating with somebody. But this self-dishonesty is actually self-betrayal. If you look at it carefully, it's actually self-betrayal. When we are dishonest to ourselves, we become unclear about what's happening. We don't want to know, we deliberately obscure what's happening. And that's delusion, for sure. And the reason why we do that is because we don't want to know. We are afraid of it. So there's another defilement going on. And there's a path that leads to darkness. Don't go there. <laughs> One day, over the last four years, I, re- I remained at home uh, in seclusion because I aim for an early retirement at the age of 54. But now, four years down the road, I see some of my colleagues, they've gone so far ahead of me. So sometimes when I'm outside, together with them, I feel like, oh, I've lost so much. But when I get back home to myself, it's so peaceful, so nice, so beautiful. So sometimes I get a little bit confused. Should I be like going back there or stay at home? But if it's within my own self, it's not a problem. Because I have family members around me, you know. And I can see that, oh, this guy is useless old man now. You know, he's not caring much or, you know. He's just so selfish, he only take care of himself. So I think at the end of the day, is there such a thing as here or there or is it somewhere in between? What is here or there? Like go back and get busy and you know, get all the defilements up and rising again and be with the crowd or to go somewhere else, enjoy it. Don't care what you think. So I'll answer with a question. What do you want? I still prefer the inside. So, why you ask me? (laughs) But then, you see, with all honesty, because it affects my family members there. Because they too see, wow, look at our colleague so-and-so, now, wow, they flirt, no, so, this and that, and blah, 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 you know the whole story, is it? And then here, it's like, oh, you're like a useless old guy. Still, what do you want? I'm still very selfish. (laughs) Me too. My wife will think uh, Buddhism teaches to be very selfish. <laughs> it can seem so. It can really, really seem so. You know, some of you left your family to come here. Maybe left your children to somebody else to take care of. It can seem selfish. Well, the Buddha left his wife and child. In some other tradition, of course, not Buddhist, those who don't see the purpose for that, they would think, oh, how selfish. So was the Buddha selfish? What do you think? Well, of course, you could also be just rotting at home. That's not very useful either. In one way, you could be like, you know, going out and uh, go and get more. But also the other side could be like sort of hiding, being a hermit. And some monks do that too. They hide themselves. They don't even want to be with other monks. And that's not necessarily a good thing. 
especially for those who are not yet established in practice, not very well established, because defilements are very, very tricky. We can be easily fooled, easily deluded. You're wanting my suggestion? Is that what you want? Please. <laughs> what I would suggest to you is to do those things, be with people whereby you find meaning in life. Live in a way whereby you will not regret. At the end of your life, before you die, how would you wish you have lived your life instead? So I'll leave it to you, those questions. Okay, let me stop here.